Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. One of many forms of currency is this money. Yes, it is. It's also, it's a very significant form. I mean, one of, I would say, eight forms of currency. Now, the other part of it is to notice that it is a form of energy as well. This idea, again, that we are taught sometimes in certain forms of education that, you know, taking and keeping. How much, have I, how much have I gotten? How much more can I get? How much more can I stash away for my next generation, next, next generation, et cetera? That doesn't, how, that doesn't define how energy works. Energy needs to flow. So here's one tip I'd like to give you in this context of this analogy of energy as one form of energy is money. If you find yourself stuck, you find yourself not able to get enough money for whatever needs that you have, your desires, your ambitions, your level of comfort, et cetera. Find a way to give. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we help you calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience deep states of bliss. In today's episode, I hope to explore some of my favorite topics and themes such as meditation, consciousness, life's 
purpose, achieving our goals, and the true nature of reality. We're going to get started in a minute, so if you like the work that we do on the show, then make sure that you hit the subscribe button or the follow button on your phone or whatever device that you're listening to this on because that tells the algorithm, that tells YouTube or Spotify that you like this episode and that more people can get to listen to this conversation that we're about to begin, right? So make sure that you hit subscribe, hit follow, and make sure you tell at least one friend about this episode um, because I'm sure they're going to love it as well. With that being said, let's bring on our guest for today, Jay Chodagam. Jay is a corporate trainer, TEDx speaker, producer of Spirit Summit Conference and host for the, of the Wise Leader Retreats. After training as a monk for 18 years and working as an engineer in Silicon Valley for 12 years, he's been called to integrate ancient wisdom with modern science for resilient, sustainable and creative workplaces. Since then, Jay has traveled to over 60 countries to help people develop SQ, social quotient to live happy and fulfilling lives to become successful human beings instead of human doings. His clients include Google, McKinsey and Gap, Inc. and universities include Stanford. So Jay, welcome to our show. Thank you, AJ. Thank you for having me over here. Yeah, it's really, really um, exciting to have you on. I know we had some tech issues before that, but just like life is, you never know when some obstacle, some difficulty or some tech issue in this case might present itself, right? <laughs> yeah, and life is like that. You know, we plan for something, yeah. something shows up along the way and, you know, that causes us stress. And this is one of those perfect examples how we didn't let this snafu, this technical challenge really change our mood and, you know, upset us. And I guess we're already on our way to creating that bliss that you were talking about in the intro. Exactly. I, I totally agree as well. You know, a lot of times, uh, whether you're a creator or entrepreneur or somebody else who's trying to achieve something in life, um, the intention that you set also plays a role, right? Like how committed are you to the end result and how detached are you from the outcome? Like, for example, today, if for whatever reason it was not cooperating with us, I was also totally okay with saying, asking you, hey, Jay, can we reschedule it? Can we find another time? Because we've tried so, you know, so much and it's just not working. Uh, but I'm glad that after some trials, some travails, we ended up on a different platform, but we're having the same conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll just say, I'll just add one more thing to that. Uh, lately, I've been really pondering about this big question what's important to me mm -hmm. and it's, it's such an important question that everybody needs to ask themselves mm -hmm. what do you value mm -hmm. what's most important to you so just sit down for a, a minute in the morning and ask yourself what's most important to you and keep asking every single day you refine that and lately what's come to me is love mm -hmm. what's important to me is love i mean that's the single most dominant force that i think has influenced my life and it's showing me the direction which I need to go down. And it is a single most powerful energy that motivates me to do whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And why I'm bringing that up is today's an example of how something didn't work. And you know, we have an option at that point. Mm -hmm. We have an option to get frustrated. We have an option to, to get angry, upset and say, oh, you know, I paid this and you know, my time has been you know, set aside. And it's like, why is this not working? And then, or lately I've just been talking, you know, I've been dealing with some other people. I've been, you know, there's some exchange of ideas, exchange of plans. And, you know, we're 
I'm a kite surfer. And so there was, you know, I'm selling some gear to some friends and they haven't paid me now. It's been two weeks. And I had to go back to that thing and ask myself, what's important to me? Do I want to pick a fight? Do I want to pursue that? Do I want to get mad at something that's not working? At the end of the day, if I don't know what I value, mm-hmm. it can take me so far down the path of something that actually makes me feel worse because of my own energy investment. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. And so when you check on your values and ask yourself, what's important to me? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's this. It could be something else. It could be peace. It could be happiness. It could be joy. It could be money. I don't know what it is for you, but whatever it is for you know what it is. And therefore, when you come to junctures like this, when there's conflict, when there's issues, when there's challenges, when there's uh, obstacles along the way, you can go to rely, fall back on what is it that is your battle that you've chosen to fight. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's love. So I want to keep it at that. Absolutely. And it's also, you know, just understanding and having a sense of perspective, right? Because I think the more that you know, the more you realize you don't know, as well as if you really delve into astronomy the only reason why we feel angry and we feel important and we feel superior is because we have an elevated sense of ego Mm -hmm. it's very active whereas if we just understand how big the universe is and how much we truly don't know uh, and if we shift from the vantage point of being on earth to being maybe on a different solar system and then looking sorry different uh, galaxy and then looking back on earth we'll realize that we're just a tiny speck in the vast infinite universe and uh, our ego and our anger and what went wrong all of this in the grand scheme of things maybe it doesn't matter that much right as long as like you put it as long as we loved as long yeah. as we enjoyed the moment whatever it was without attaching to the outcome we we loved so i totally resonate with uh, maybe the theme that you're choosing for our conversation today (laughs) (laughs) i guess i just spoke my mind it's like i wasn't thinking about it but uh, no absolutely this idea of uh, not only the fact that we saw such a small speck in this whole miracle of this universe but also my idea of a plan Mm -hmm. who am i to say that this is the best thing the way that's supposed to be you know this hour is supposed to play out you know we've set aside 90 minutes for you and me and you know that happened right and here we are on zoom on a different platform than what we had originally intended but who knows what is in store which is outside the small container of my imagination's possibilities so that's another thing to be able to step outside and say you know what i surrender to the flow Mm -hmm. Right, the universe has a plan. My intentions are good. I'm going to stay in my heart space. Whatever needs to flow will happen. Right, right. I love that notion. And and, and Jay, what was your childhood like? And then where were you born and brought up? Yeah, very different than where I am and how I'm thinking, <laughs> how I'm talking. <laughs> um, I was born in Madras, which is now called Chennai in South India. Uh, my both my grandparents uh, lived there, and my some part of my father's childhood was there. So a lot of my mother's childhood was there, but my father was uh, working for the National Oil Company in India, Indian Oil Corporation, and so his job was like uh, what you would consider like a banker's job or a somebody in the military. So they kept moving every five years. So my dad get kept getting posted in different places, and so we ended up in Hyderabad. And I ended up 
get getting uh, into a school, one of the top schools in India. And so my dad and mom decided to put me in the boarding school, even though they kept moving. And so I ended up staying in Hyderabad, went to college there. And then, and then the rest of the story, you know, I came to America to get, you know, to form a master's and yada, yada, yada. Here we are. <laughs> Got it. And at that point, when you were a child, what did you want to become? when you grew up, right? What was your you childhood know, aspirations yeah, like? Right. You know, it's so interesting that you ask that because you see nowadays, uh, and here's a little giveaway for, I don't know if I should probably publicly not disclose it, but since you're bringing this up, you know how there is, when you create a password for certain applications, they'll ask you to create a reminder, like, you know, a, a question that will help you to mm-hmm. remember. Mm-hmm. And in that question, I don't know if you, you get it, but I get it a lot of times. It's like, what did you want to grow up to be? You know, right. Right, as a child, so same question that you're asking, mm. and I had to think about it because um, you know it's, you don't remember some things like this, some so many childhood dreams and things like that. But there's a very specific memory since I was I think three or four years old that has somehow stuck with my head of what I want to be. So you know I want to be a fire truck, uh, I want to be in the fire brigade, mm-hmm. but a very specific role. Okay. On the on the fire truck, you know, there's this there's you know there's a big fire truck, right? Mm-hmm. There's the guy who drives it, yeah. and he's got a crew of people who sit around him. Yeah. But there's a guy way at the back who sits there and he rings the bell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> back in the day when we didn't have these alarms and you know these uh, electronic uh, sirens and stuff like that, so. Yeah. I specifically wanted to work in the fire brigade to be the guy who rings the bell. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's the my earliest childhood memory of to answer your question. What fascinated you about that role? Was it because you were announcing to everybody and then you get to get the attention of everybody who's looking at at you and uh, your team? So a couple of things I think. One is that playing the role of being a protector. Mm-hmm. playing the role of being somebody who is uh, a caregiver in the community like you know so people can be safe and um, they can go about their lives with ease right uh, because of these people who are willing to you know um, be there for them right service providers mm-hmm. and the second part so that's the part of the fire brigade in which i feel it's interesting right my name uh, is uh, my full name is janardhan and my grandparent my grandmother specifically she apparently chose this name for me and it's so interesting, the question that you asked, and so this idea of, you know, being a, a resource in the community, being somebody who was available to serve the community, mm-hmm. is actually in my name. Janardhan means the answer to people's prayers. Oh, okay. So I guess it's been deeply instilled in me because of the values of, again, I can talk a lot about my grandmother. She was a very powerful woman, and I grew up around very powerful women all through my childhood and even through, I guess, even now, I am surrounded by pretty incredible people, especially women. And uh, so this idea of being of service, being a person who will provide shelter, will give care to the community is a very intrinsic part of my upbringing and my life. And uh, so I guess that's where the fire truck issue comes up. And then the, the bell thing is, uh, I guess, uh, you know, as a child, you want to, you know, get attention. You know, you mm. want to be the one who's making noise, not the one who's sitting in the back seat. So, right. Right. yeah, so it's a combination of that. That's very, very interesting that you point out the choices that we make as children 
one would think those those choices come from your role models like in your case the female role models in your life your grandmother do they come from somebody else that we notice in society maybe television and tv shows and movies or maybe did they come from a previous lifetime like another point of view is maybe you did something in a previous life and that had such an impact on you that it's sort of spilling into this life mm-hmm. so to speak and maybe it's a combination of all three for example in you know when i was small i always wanted to be a paleontologist um somebody who is excavating for dinosaur fossils and what intrigued me about that was to be somebody who uh, goes into the unknown into the dark void and brings back something of use and tells a story and somebody who's like a detective and gets to know secrets uh, about the human species so to speak um unfortunately in my case what ended up happening was when i was a kid i actually went i had visited my aunt's place one day and in the backyard i found something so i kept digging and i uncovered actually a skull i, I uncovered oh, wow. a skull and brought it back to my aunt's place and she just threw it away because it was it was a cow skull it was a bull skull and to her that was not useful but to me it's not a dinosaur but hey it was a skull right uh, and so also like you know small things that adults do or not do can make such a such an impact right like in my right. case actually choosing not to go down the route of being a paleontologist later on in life you were talking about the influences external influences on on shaping our childhood and our intentions our aims and objectives in life and our passions and our pursuits yes it's it's conditioned by the people that we surround ourselves with which is usually you know family you know relatives etc but there is another significant factor which you kind of alluded to which is the role of media mm-hmm. especially in 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 this day and age is such a significant part of the consumption of the human brain mm-hmm. you know we are consuming 11 million bits a second and the amount of data that is constantly growing in our lives uh is something is almost to the point of it's overwhelming it has an overwhelming influence on shaping you than actually physical people relatives and you know friends and family like unlike back in the day when you know that was you know people around you were the dominant factor but today the media that you expose yourself to is a huge function of who we become so again i guess we can talk and talk about this some more later mm-hmm. but um it's it's a it's a tectonic shift in what is shaping humanity and it's the choices that we make on how we expose a ourselves and b those little ones in our house the little ones that we are caring for whether it's a children grandchildren nephew niece whatever the case may be it's something that you need to be really cognizant about the role that these influences have in determining their shape of where they go yeah that's very very true i mean uh if you have a large enough microphone you essentially are controlling the narrative right uh, and uh, i think because of social media and all these different platforms then if you're charismatic enough and your if your message is strong enough you will magnetize and hypnotize large masses of people to either do or do not do something and that can create a lot of uh, a lot of issues only because uh, of the ch- and in a way it's it's just evolution right because before this microphone was dominated by the large organizations and broadcast agencies and news media but these days 
in a way people are more empowered because now they can sit in the back in the bedroom like i am and 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 do a podcast and hopefully we're influencing people in a positive way right now right <laughs> yeah and and this then that's why podcasts like these voices like these need to be broadcast more because if, i want you to talk about something about psychology because i work a lot with children so you've touched on a subject yeah. that's very near and dear to me yeah it is if you think about it because of the access to media we all have on the palm of our hands we have devices that we can you know spend 24/7 mm-hmm. we can get all the information all the courses all the knowledge that's out there to be consumed so then what happens what do young people go for they look for heroes we all look for heroes whether mm-hmm. we realize it or not and who are the most dominant forces you talked about the biggest microphone these are the sports stars these are the mm-hmm. ones who are the billionaires for example yeah. these are the movie stars for example Mm-hmm. Now, one of the challenges is when you go to the loudest voice mm-hmm. that's out there, and you're consuming, you know, you're following this uh, sports star, this basketball, this movie star, this rock star, or the billionaire. Unfortunately, those people don't have value systems that you see backing up that talent. You see, it's one thing to be talented, be able to sing beautifully, to be able to look very pretty, and you be able to flutter your eyelids or you know show some makeup, whatever, or have this powdered lips, what have you. But behind that, mm-hmm. you have to realize that we are also adopting their character, yeah. their value system, exactly. their priorities. Yeah, which is why when. young people go blindly going after the loudest voice like you just talked about unfortunately it is not the right role models mm-hmm. that we truly want so so voices like what you like a person like you is absolutely valuable because you're giving something that is the meat around the bone so to speak i mean there is actual content there is actual value systems there is actual depth of thought and i'm i'm assuming that you've had many many speakers uh, come to your thing who have who have some very intimate very deep conversations about a lot of you know things about life and you know you yeah. talked about the the nature of truth in your introduction i heard you saying about that mm-hmm. and and that's such a that's a, such a nebulous subject it's so hard to put your head around because they're not talking about that in our schools they're not talking about in elementary middle school high school colleges and so on the nature of truth mm-hmm. the nature of what's important to you the nature of defining what success means to you mm-hmm. not what it means to elon musk or to kobe bryant or to uh, will smith or whoever else any of these stars that we see out there but what does success mean to you and taking the time to to ponder on that through these conversations i think is incredibly valuable so good job Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much. Um, I, I definitely see a point there when when somebody watches uh, an influencer or maybe a sports person, celebrity, whatever that might be, when they watch them on TikTok or on YouTube, the mistake that people often make is that they uh, judge the entire person's life by their highlight reel. And one thing happens is you end up comparing yourself because obviously... Uh, maybe they have more resources than you, more clout than you, more uh, social proof than you, right? And then you're like, what am I doing in my bedroom right now? I'm not really making a difference. I'm not end- ending hunger right now. But the other thing also is often we don't realize, like you put it, we tend to assume that just because they have 10,000 likes or 3,000 people commenting on their YouTube channel, we associate, we assume that they have high moral character, but maybe the truth is that everyone's broken, dysfunctional, and silently battling their own trauma, right? Like if you see what's happening, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, right? I don't know who to support, but at the end of the day, the truth is they had a fairly dysfunctional relationship. And who are we to judge? Each of us has our own dysfunction in our own relationships, in our own families, our relationship with our mom or dad or even sister. And we all have work to do. But oftentimes we feel that celebrities are different. No, they're they have some level of commonality, just like everyone here, everybody else, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I'll tell you my wake-up call on this subject. Huge wake-up call. It felt like a, you know, <laughs> a hammer came flying down on my head from ten floors above. Yeah, was when Whitney Houston committed suicide, or I, you know, it's oh, not yeah. really committed suicide. She overdosed. Yeah, uh, in that uh, hotel room, sitting in the bathtub in uh, Los Angeles, she was like a star that I, you know, I grew up listening to her. I mean, in my view in my small narrow view of the world she had everything she had talent she had money she had sway power she had charisma she i seemingly had an amazing family her daughter her husband i mean what else could you want i mean one would think at least from from my vantage point yeah but then look at the way she lost her life and then if you think about it that whole era that around that time Prince, yeah. Michael Jackson, yeah, uh, Co- uh, Kurt Cobain from uh, Nirvana, all, and then you know, just even closer home to San Francisco where I live, Robin Williams committed yeah. suicide, and you know, these are people I grew up thinking that, oh my God, I wish I had even one percent of their talent and you know their life, yeah, and it's so deceptive, so deceptive when um, you judge people by, like you said, by watching their highlights real of their life and what they want to present and they don't talk about the struggles and, and i think you just you nailed it when you we are all struggling we are all trying to figure this out no matter you could be the dalai lama but he's trying to figure this out himself 
That's and very true. It, yeah. And I think it's just like his question is that, you know, one thing that will help is if you simplify your needs, if you just mm. slow down and say that, okay, I don't have this figured out, mm-hmm. but I decide to walk at the pace of a cow than a rocket that is trying to make it to moon, you know, for example, you know, yeah. so it's just the, the time you have to course correct versus when you're off on the trajectory so fast, you don't have time to put on the brakes. You don't have time to adjust based on what you find out in the process of your right. flight. So I think, you know, simplifying can help, but otherwise I think we are all trying to figure this out. Very, very, very true. And Jay, how did you um, discover meditation? Was it introduced to you as a child or did you learn it at a certain point later on in, in life? Yeah. So I grew up Hindu and by virtue of birth, uh, this is because my family, I was born into a Hindu family. I grew up, like I mentioned to you, till I was five, six years old, I grew up with my parents. And then I went to boarding school in mm-hmm. the city. And then my grandmother, the lady I was mentioning, who was a very influential figure in my life and also in the influential figure in the women's right movement in India, in the British um, liberation from the British. She's a freedom fighter. And then also the independent India, she was one of the first members of parliament in the free India. So, you know, clearly, you know, she was a woman way ahead of our times at a time when, you know, we still had the uh, parda system where the women were always kept in behind the veil and they were not allowed to come into you know, mosques and, you know, a lot of uh, place of worship. And I mean, let alone be a member of parliament was like way, way she was, you know, ahead of time. So she was a very pious woman. So we, you know, she had her own uh, very uh, disciplined ritual every morning before we wake up at four o'clock. She would be done with her puja by 5.30 and then she'd be giving out prasad to us as we're getting ready, you know, for to go to school. And so I was, she was my guardian. And so her influence on me, and she used to teach me when I was a kid at night, especially she used to teach me when I, I would sleep in, her, in the bed next to her. And she would uh, teach me um, uh, chants and she would teach me uh, uh, certain hymns, certain puja rhymes, uh, you know, that she would teach me at night. And I still remember that today, I mean, 40 years later, she's been, she's passed on a long, long time ago. But I still remember them today because that was the influence. But I was not particularly religious myself. I grew up now. So this is where, again, your comment of the media comes in, right? So a big part of my youth, youthful influence, especially when I was like a teenager, was something that you alluded to, which is the role of media. And I think it was about when I was somewhere in the age of between the ages of 12 or 14, I remember cable television came into our house. And that's, that's just the time when cable television is even entering into India. Mm-hmm. And I remember overnight, we went from two channels. We had uh, two national television channels. That's it. That's all, all of India. We just had that. Overnight, it went to 10 channels. And guess what? All of that programming was coming from Western countries, especially the United States, because the kind of shows that you know I was watching growing up was Santa Barbara, Bold and Beautiful, Knight Rider, um, Baywatch, and, and the likes. And so there was a massive shift in the outlook, in, at least in my life. I'll speak for myself and don't want to generalize for everybody else you know, growing up around me at that time in India. But when I had this amount of exposure to a Western way of living and thinking and doing things and achieving things and having that life, I quickly adopted this Western 
lifestyle and uh, pursuit of what I consider to be happiness. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting that all through my teenage, at least the late, later teenage years, and then through, you know, in, in getting out of college, I always wanted to live the American dream. So I came to this country. I've, I was a sportsman. I was a sailor. There's another story there. I was national champion in India. Then I got a chance to travel abroad. And I, I, was, vis I was visiting America first because I was representing India in some of the competitions. And then some friends of mine said, hey, you should go consider going into college in this country because here universities will pay for your, you know, you can get a sports scholarship. You pay for education. You can get top quality uh, education as well. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll just give it a try. That was not my plan. But then I decided to go here because I was really, you know, completely enamored by the American way of life, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the programming. Yeah. Within a year, now here's where the flip again, the kind of the next um, pivot happened in my life. Within a year of me coming in, I had joined one of the top programs in the world in my field of study in uh, petroleum engineering is what I was pursuing. And I completely got disillusioned by this material pursuit of like this American way, this, you know, this American dream. I felt like it was big. I just realized it was very, very shallow. And I really appreciated the opportunities in this life, in this world, in this, you know, uh, what would least seems like a welcoming community, at least here when I was, you know, in school and then here working in California. And so I was trying to see how can I couple this creativity, this opportunity, this entrepreneur lifestyle with strong foundational values that I was raised in growing up around my grandmother and in that culture, which is a very, very ancient um, culture in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know exactly how, how this would happen, but I knew that I was not going to be completely swept away by the American way of life by the American dream, so to speak, because I felt that it was very shallow because I know a lot of people, at least I, I started meeting people that had everything, but were looking completely empty on the inside. The soul was, feel like it was, it was shallow. Yeah. It was uh, looking like it was not, that's, I don't see happiness shining on their face. Yeah. But then my question then was, what is happiness then? You know, mm -hmm. what is it that I can do? And I, you know, when I look back at the people on the streets of India. I mean, you know, you see a sparkle in even the kid who, who just has a, has had a bun for, you know, for breakfast, that's all, you know, one piece of bread or something. And you know, they're running around, you know, with so much joy and carefree and so on and so forth. And so anyway, so I, I traveled back to India and as I, as I would every Christmas, I would go home to India uh, due to my winter break to visit my family. And I came across a childhood friend of mine who had been practicing meditation and it was very strange because he came from a very orthodox Muslim family. Mm -hmm. And what he was practicing did not seem like it was Islam. It looked like it was a more uh, universal kind of a practice than being religious. And he was a very smart kid in school. Uh, he was dramatics captain in school. And he was also the head of the... Um, and so he won the best young scientist gold medal from president of India at that time for his PhD thesis. And so, you know, I knew he was a smart kid. And he had been practicing meditation. He said, okay, you know, Jay, you should go with me. You know, let's just go in. Um, uh, you should try this meditation thing. I'm like, yo, I, I mean, I'm, I felt like I was having a, such a cool life. Why would I want to do some boring thing that older, older people do, right? I'm mm -hmm. like, it's such an uh, uncool thing to do. So yeah. 
anyway, so because he was a friend, I was like trying to say, okay, you know, I'm going to make you happy. And I went to a meditation center. I tell you, within a day, it completely changed my perspective on life. Mm-hmm. So AJ, they were talking about two questions in that um, first session. They were talking about who am I? Mm-hmm. And why am I here on this earth? What am I here to do in this life? And those are two questions I said, every human being should be asking this question. And yet none of our school programs, none of our co- college, none of our corporate, none of our community programs encourage us to think about something that is so fundamental. Who am I? And what am I here to do? I mean, these are like, you know, like GPS. These are the two fun foundational data points that without knowing that you can't go anywhere in life. Yeah. And so when they were deliberating on that, I got completely enamored by this idea of deliberating and reflecting on one's own uh, personal values and, you know, my own roadmap. Yep. So I came back to America. I was still in university. Immediately, I started a a club on campus, a a meditation club, where I'd have other kids on campus come together. We would get together every Saturday for 60 minutes, and we would uh, pick up a book, and I'd do a reading, and then we would have some discussion, and then we would have a meditation to close with. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that was my journey, my foray into, uh, so from a world where I was not at all spiritual mm-hmm. to today, this is what I do full time. I mean, this is what, this is like the heart and soul of my life. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And I can resonate with many points that you've mentioned over here also, because growing up in India, <clears throat> somehow, some way, I think because a lot of the brainwashing that happened, especially during colonization, uh, Indians themselves were made to feel like we had nothing to contribute to the world when in fact at, at a certain point in history we had one-fourth of the GDP along with China we were uh, forward in so many areas whether it was science and architecture and most importantly the spiritual sciences of Tantra and Ayurveda and Yoga and Vedanta we had all the knowledge within but we were made to feel as if we had nothing to contribute and I think part of that brainwashing continued after independence as well and so in 2018 I read a couple of books that totally transformed my life and I was confused also because I was like I've lived my life all these years assuming certain things about me and where I'm from and, and India overall but now it's different all along when I came to Canada, um, <laughs> right? You, I think as Indians, a lot of Indians try to emulate the West because of programming and television and movies. And you begin to feel like if you're not Brad Pitt, then you don't get a chance on television. But these days you have a lot of Indians or maybe South Asians on television and doing really well, right? So that notion has has, has changed a lot. And then you find a lot of people who are genuinely seekers and wanting to learn about meditation and Ayurveda and yoga. And they're not satisfied with what they, uh, you know, learn from in the studio. They want the authentic, direct lineage yoga with the Sanskrit, with the Tamil, with the Hindi. They want all of it and they want nothing diluted. So that was, that was really interesting as well. But I think it's very important that people ask these profound questions, right? And to me, there were three questions that I, I that really changed my life. And two of them were exactly what you said, which was, who am I, right? What's my purpose on earth? And then what's going to happen after this life? Mm. It's like, we don't think about death enough, right? right. And, and then once it happens, we're shook, we're shocked. We don't mm. know how to react. We don't know how to comprehend. We don't know how to process it. Um, and... All these ancient traditions, including Stoicism, right? They encourage Mm -hmm. you, they invite you to think about death a little Mm -hmm. bit every day. 
because it's mm. going to happen ultimately and then sometimes thinking about death purifies the life that you're living right now right mm. mm-hmm. so i want to share with you something about this idea of um, inviting you to even think about death without even telling you to do so now growing up i don't know if you remember this aj but um, i vividly remember when i used to we used to read the hindu newspaper we used to get a few different newspapers but the hindu was like the staple like it was like the uh wall street journal of india right i mean it's like the benchmark right um in that i remember very often there would be stories of children recalling their past life it used to be you know and we don't even think twice about it this was just the way that you know we grew up in so these are the things i'm just saying how that culture which is what i was so felt like i was missing when i came to the, to this country you know it's so funny because i was looking forward to come to america and the moment i come and land here i'm like oh my god wait no <laughs> this is not what i <laughs> signed up for i want to get some of that which i left behind so you talked about this whole idea of what happens at death subconsciously the kid on the street i'm just you know just talking about myself without even you know trying to portray my story generalize it for any other person the idea that life goes on beyond this idea of this death was just a thing that we accepted without right and so this notion that whatever task we're doing it is something that not only reaps reaps us happiness today but it is a gift that keeps giving past this lifetime and therefore it is not about just how you pretend to do things in front of people but really about your character about your foundation about your values about your karma becomes a question for us to think about right and again i'm not saying that you know we are i had these conversations explicitly when i was growing up but i'm just saying subliminally when i come to this country i realize that i already had that peace of mind that says that all is not lost when i die you know so so there's a level of comfort which you don't struggle with that is saying you know what happens to me after this life yeah that's that's, that's very true and i like that you mentioned culture because in india it's not really about the religion irrespective mm-hmm. of what religion you're at which part of india you're from within the fabric and within our dna we have a a, a linguistic habit of speaking about past lives and future lives right exactly. we just colloquially just talk about it so even though we might not deep down believe it and we have a lot to research and learn about but deep mm-hmm. down we're just so used to talking about mm-hmm. past lives and future lives um i want to talk about something here this is you, so you brought up something which i don't know if uh, a you know or in the audience have heard this but i want to talk about something about the history of india and you mentioned about so in 1721 I'll give you a specific year. India capitalized India managed 21% of the world's GDP. Now we're talking literally 300 years ago we were a major source of the economy of the world. If you think about Christopher Columbus was looking for India, Marco Polo was looking for India, uh, Magellan was, you know, there were so many people they were they were all trying to find, you know, the the route to come to india and you know here this guy christopher columbus lost his way not once but multiple times 
and he you know ended up coming to this country and he thought this was you know this was like he reached india that's why he calls the people indians and that's why the native americans are called indians still today but the story i want to talk about is the history around the word india we take it for granted that we think that the word india is actually not what our historical name for that country is it is a culture you mentioned about this idea that there's a culture that runs through the fabric of that nation which regardless of what your religious beliefs and your social conditioning and so on and so forth and so when the central asian people when the people of eurasia were trying to come and conquer you know you had the moguls and you had the uh, muslims and so so many different cultures were trying to you know coming from the middle east and uh, from central asia they looked at this culture that was on the other side of the indu river okay so which is right now sits at the north for frontier province you know which includes part of pakistan and all of the indian subcontinent that they were all of a certain culture and there were multiple kingdoms but they were all they all practiced certain fundamental values across these different uh, tribes and uh, little kingdoms and so on and so forth and they call those people indus because they lived on the other side of the indu river which is now called indus if you open up the map or if you open google and search for it and so yes you are absolutely right that we all celebrated certain principles core principles regardless of our uh, faith and you know, nationality and sexual orientation and religious belief and kingdom affiliations and so on and so forth and so that is deep within the bones of some of the uh, of that of that land so when you think about it so this this there's another notion which is very interesting you talked about the conquest of the the colonialization culture always flows from high to low like anything in physics it it flows from high to low so if you look today the british came and you know lived conquered 200 years took a left took away all so much of wealth and uh, they say i don't know if you know this but they say that the city of london was built with indian money and irish irish labor it's built with indian money and irish labor so in the crown jewels so much of it is from india and africa and so forth so now here's the thing here's the interesting thing we talk about culture flow from high to low look at the national food of england today it's curry right so so it it so it, we we're not threatened and this is a part of the of the whole notion of hinduism nobody converts in hinduism the the strength of that culture speaks for itself it has it has withstood the time it has withstood all of the forces that were trying to come and shape it and change it and force it and etc cetera, etc cetera. and i'm not saying again from a religious perspective i'm talking about the cultural and the humanitarian aspects of that that culture that far outweigh any forces that can come and change us and so so that aspect that i was seeking when i left india because i don't consider myself to be a religious practicing hindu but there are certain things about how you take care of your neighbors how you we live in communities we care for one another we share we we believe that you know you you hurt a dog you hurt a cow you hurt a bird you hurt an animal hurt a human let alone that it will come back as you do so you shall receive as you so social you uh, you know as you uh, 
sow a seed, so you shall reap. So these are things that I feel like, you know, coming out of that culture made me admire these things a whole lot more than what, you know, can you take for granted, you know, when you're living in the culture, you know, everybody's, you know, uh, does the same thing, you know, what's special, there's nothing special about it. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Right. Justin Bieber. <clears throat> I don't know when he said it, but he said it once. He said, you get the best chicken tikka in London. <laughs> but Justin Bieber, I'm not sure if you're watching this or listening to this. The best curry is in India, not in London. But the other, <laughs> but the other thing I wanted to mention was, um, I was this one time in, uh, I was in Turkish uh, airlines and I was having the meal, right? And they, they gave me a Hindu meal. And I was surprised why they're saying Hindu meal. Because uh, you wouldn't exactly associate a meal with, with the religion, right? But then I realized that in Turkey and in all of that area, to be a Hindu means the whole of the geography and what essentially is the religion is referring to Sanatana Dharma. And so this was as an Indian learning more and more about my own culture, my own traditions and, and really understanding, being able to understand and empathize with others as well. Um, so, so, Jay, uh, Speaking about your uh, the phase of your life where you were a monk, right? So what made you go down that route? When did this happen in the chronology of your life? Mm -hmm. So it's happened, actually pick up the story from where I left off. I was talking about when I came to college in America, I felt so shallow and I was, you know, seemingly doing very well in life. I was, you know, mm -hmm. a national champion sailor, got a full scholarship into one of the best programs in the world. And my first internship, I got into one of the dream companies that I've always wanted to work for. And, and then once I got there, I felt like, oh, what? This now what? Like, where do we go from here? Is, is this really what, you know, my idea of happiness is? And it's not. Then where do I go from there? So, I, I found, you know, spirituality, like I said, I, not really looking for it, but it just so happened. You know, there's a famous saying in India that when the student is ready, mm -hmm. the teacher will appear. So my journey back to on vacation and my meeting with my childhood friend and me embarking on the spiritual, that the idea of meditation and bringing that back to university. Once I came back to campus, as I left off the story, I started a club. I got obviously very interested in or like anything else, anything you commit to. Like, you know, if I committed to downhill skiing at that point, probably I would have, my life would have been revolved around something, but I committed to starting a club on campus and therefore rallying around it and, you know, uh, making sure that I've, I'm showing up and making sure that it's consistent and so on and so forth. And so I graduated from that college mm -hmm. 
And now I was done with the university. So the, the group that, and I got hired in a company in Austin, I was living in, and working in Austin. And uh, so they started meeting at my house. My house became a meeting place for what was, what started off on campus. Mm-hmm. So you see how I kind of, the baby, like I gave birth to this baby. Now the baby's growing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't abandon the baby. So I'm like, okay, but I enjoy it. Quite honestly, it's not something that I had signed up for the rest of my life, but I, you know, I was enjoying it. I was like, okay, I'm happy to nurture this baby. And then it came a point when I said like, you know, what's truly important for me? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, my experience that I was having, I was having some profound outer body experiences, profound, and like happiness that I cannot explain. Like happiness that did not come with drugs and alcohol and sex and things like that. And I was like, if this is what happiness is, then I need to dive deeper. I'm the kind of guy that if I find something that I'm, passionate about, I find something that piques my interest. I want to dive deeper and research it. And then I decided, decided I'm going to move into an ashram. And I said, okay, I was single, fortunately. So I was not already committed with kids. And, you know, that was the case. Then I don't think the story would have been the same. I would have probably not moved into an ashram. And that's the years of monk that you were asking about. But I was in a position to make the choice. And I said, okay. And the way that I, I lived in the ashram is that it was an ashram where I lived as a monk and we had the typical lifestyle and the precepts and of what a, a, a sannyasi yogi would do and we had a day we could we would go and have day jobs because that's how we paid for the you know the, the upkeep of the ashram the mortgage and you know, the utilities and you know food and all the stuff the, the services that we rendered it was free of charge so so i kept my day job but so like four in the morning i'd wake up meditate then we'd have our i go shower then I would have a morning class and we'd have a group class at the ashram. Then eight o'clock I go, you know, get to for work and get ready for all of that. Then come back five, six or whatever. And then evening, I'd have an evening routine. We'd have a group meditation. Then I would have some seva at the center. I would either be teaching or cleaning or something, you know. So, and then weekends I would go and be mostly teaching or serving at, at one of the other ashrams where we needed help, what have you. So, so that, so that became, and I loved it. I loved it because I was able to really grow both sides of my life. I was, I'm mm-hmm. a very curious person. I want to understand, I want to get good at my profession, but also I wanted to deepen my own practice about understanding who I am, why am I here? And so all those questions that you and I talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that for 18 years, I lived in an ashram as a yogi, as a practitioner, and it was incredibly enriching. Wonderful, wonderful. So at what point did you <clears throat> leave the path of being a monk or did you ever leave the path? And yeah, that's a great question. What was so, that transition point, I guess? Right, yeah. So in 2018, mm-hmm. I had this uh, practice. I had actually had been doing this for every year for a number of years. Yeah. Where in January, I sit at the beginning of the year, 1st of uh, January, I would sit down uh, in silence uh, for extended periods of time and I would call that my own silence retreat. So when it's a retreat, I'm not really going anywhere, but I'm just staying. I live at an ashram for God's sake. I don't need to really <laughs> go anywhere else, right? Yeah. So, and I would ask source, call it by whatever name you want. I would ask for a download of what is it that source wants to do through me this year for this particular year. Every year I would ask that. I still continue to ask that. It's not about, I try not to let my ego drive what I want to achieve, but I'm saying, how do I, how can I be an instrument for what the universe wants to do through me? 
And in 2018, the message was that it has time come, has come for you to move out of the ashram. I was like, what? I thought I'm going to grow old and I'm going to, you know, leave this body at the ashram. I didn't. So this was quite a, a big, startling revelation for me. And this was in January. And actually, I did not move out of the ashram till September of that year. Okay. In certain circumstances, certain situations, certain things came about, which kept reinforcing the idea that, you know, if my time had come to go. It's like, I look at it like that moment, AJ, that when I left the ashram was coming down from the mountain to the main street. Mm -hmm. And I came out of the ashram with the intention that I had studied, I've, you know, been to university. And now it's time for me to apply that while in relationship, while in society. Uh, and it does two things. One is that it helps you to understand how much you learned and actually apply. Second, it's when you actually go through life as other people who live householders, if you will, that's when you can understand their true struggles. Otherwise, it's like a theoretical thing. It's mm -hmm. like, yes, I mean, theoretically, you know, our history teacher, our geography teacher told us about history and geography, even though they didn't travel there. Mm -hmm. It was good, but only to a certain extent versus listening to a person who has actually come from there, mm -hmm. has been there, done that, you know? been active like you know you hear about 9-11 is that's one thing but when somebody who's been in the tower twin towers when the thing collapsed and they were able to witness what happened and they come and give you a download of that the experience is completely different and the ability to for us to empathize mm -hmm. is completely different so so i feel i'm at this phase of life where my teachers is my society is is the community society my relationships etc mm -hmm. yeah yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. And what you say makes a lot of sense because especially when it comes to being a healer or being a coach or being somebody who is here to hold space for somebody, if you are uh, intending to take a person through grief and if you have not experienced grief yourself, then it's going to be hard for you to empathize with the other person, right? If you are trying to help a person navigate through darkness and you haven't gone through darkness yourself, it's going to be very difficult and B, the person is not going to really feel you because then it'll reflect in your state. It's going to reflect in the stories that you tell. It's going to reflect in how, right, and um, how you relate, right? So mm -hmm. I, it definitely does make sense that uh, no matter what you're trying to help another person achieve or at least go through, uh, you having gone through the same experience makes a world of a difference. <clears throat> now, I want to ask you this question. Um, we're having this, you know, conversation for people who are listening. We're having it digitally because Jay is in California. I'm in Vancouver. And these days I do a lot of in-person podcasts as well, which I want to do. And so you have this ultimate juxtaposition of in-person versus digital. When it comes to meditation, um, do you feel that there's a difference between hosting an online meditation versus somebody sitting in front of you or maybe attending a retreat or maybe attending a workshop? What are your yeah, thoughts on that's that? That's a great question. So a history. So up until 2020, yeah. uh, I did zero online workshops, online retreats, yeah. online uh, live. Uh, so I didn't even have a Zoom account, just FYI. Till March of 2020, right. I didn't have a Zoom account. I didn't have a YouTube account. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a Gmail account, so by virtue, which I had something, but yeah. I didn't do anything because... My style is old school. And for me, I want to hold space with people, whether it's, you know, 
whether they're all coming to where I live in the ashram or whether it's coming to a retreat place where I'm going to go or to another part of the world where somebody invites me to speak in China or in Italy or wherever else in Germany, et cetera. But COVID basically blew the lid off of any of those constraints, if you will, that those kind of principles. I'll just give you a simple example. So I was invited by one of the apps, meditation app companies. The founder was in San Francisco as well, just like me. I'm based in San Francisco. So, so she reached out to me in 2016 and said, Jay, we are doing a, a meditation app company. And, you know, we'd like for you to be one of the early teachers on the app. Would you like to contribute? And I was like, okay, sure. And, you know, I'm, I was happy to support her, but quite honestly, I'll be very, very honest, Frank here, that I was not really into the art of going into my basement and speaking to a camera, pinhole in the camera on my laptop and talking to a, 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 a gadget. You know, for me, a sense of creating presence and cultivating consciousness comes from holding space with a physical group of people mm -hmm. because I can feed off of the energy. I know I've said something, I can feel their feedback, and then I, for I'm going to say the next thing. And, you know, we, we know where we've gone with this whole thing as you're taking them on the arc of deepening their own awareness. But this idea of that you being completely disconnected with somebody, and I mean, even live is still one level of... Mm -hmm. uh, closeness yeah but imagine recordings were just like absolutely not my cup of tea so i abandoned that for mm -hmm. uh, for a long long time and actually now in hindsight you know good or better for worse that app became really really successful multiple millions of followers and and then i was just not you know really present on there because i was not interested in that mm -hmm. but covid march 15 2020 i remember that date very clearly because i had a retreat sold out in japan starting the 4th of April, book, tickets booked, everything, the whole program was set. And we found out that the doors on the world were closing and we had to basically, I had to backtrack and I had to cancel all of this, refund everybody's money, change the flights, cancel the flights, lost or anyway, whatever. And then people started calling me and said, Jay, we're stuck at home. We're sitting with our family. We're like 24 seven. My moms are cooking four meals a day or maybe moms and dads. Mm -hmm. They're saying like, you know, we're here, we're trying to work and our kids are sitting on the table next to us and trying to do their homework. Right. Yo, we didn't sign up for this stuff. I mean, yes, I did have a family, but I didn't think I was going to be looking at them 24 seven and feeding them four meals a day. Yep. We are super stressed. And please, can you come online and start telling us, teaching us something? I'm like, okay, you know, I don't say no to my audience. I mean, they're pretty, you know, faithful. I mean, we just have a very good rapport. So in somewhere in the late March, 2020, I went and got a Zoom account, started live streaming. And then quite honestly, very, very skeptical about the outcome and the impact that it would have compared to my in-person stuff that I've been doing for a decade at that point. People who said, Jay, if I close my eyes, I feel like you are sitting in my living room with me and talking to me. I was shocked when I got that kind of feedback. They say, Jay, we feel like you're right here. There's, and, you know, and then some of us, like, then I started doing retreats, like, you know, weekend retreats that I would give them. It's kind of a very interesting thing. I would send them a list of things, how to curate the space around them, you know, put light candles and, you know, how to, you know, sit on the floor, a cushion and this and that. I would give them all this thing because I'm trying to create the atmosphere that I would do when they were in retreat with me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then some of these people had attended my in-person retreats before the whole COVID thing happened. And now they're attending my sessions online. And they say, Jay, we don't feel that much of a difference between those days when we were with you in person and this online, which is to me, 
it's incredible how I don't fully know if it is the brain, you know, because the human brain is incredibly powerful way of building gaps, bridging, you know, spaces and uh, making you feel like it is as good as anything else. Like, I mean, the happiness factor, there's a whole science around how the brain is actually, can actually make you feel mm -hmm. happy regardless of external circumstances. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the brain doing that part of, um, you know, bridging the voids and saying, you know what, this is just as good, you know, because who knows, how do you actually compare, right? Is there a metrics for the level of happiness and the level of joy, the level of ecstasy they feel? No, there is not. So anyway, so I just trust my audience in this when they say that they're having just as good of an experience online. That's one aspect. Now, the second aspect I'll tell you, the reach. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, it has gone through the roof. Because you see, when you talk about the Japan retreat or Italy retreat or any of the retreats or even the in-person things that I was doing at the ashram, there would be times where I'd have uh, you know, 100, 150 people in my audience. But that's just still 150 people. Today, when I do a live session, minimum 150 people. I go four, 500 people you know, sometimes when, uh, because technology is they're seamless, right? I mean, you can be in any part of the world. You could be in any condition. You mm -hmm. could be a single mom and you can't give away your kids for certain days to travel to be at my retreat. Or you could be somebody who doesn't have the resources to travel to my retreat. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Today, you just had to open up a browser and there's Jay or there's any teacher, any education, any form of inspiration that you like. So, mm -hmm. so I think, so these two things, I think the technology has come a long way. Second, the reach is incredible. So all of this to say that I think even if the world goes back to being fully open, my online presence is here to stay, for sure. Wonderful. Yeah, that's definitely something that I <clears throat> think about a lot because, uh, yeah, you know, with technology, it's definitely allowed a lot of my audience to firstly listen to the podcast in the first place versus me actually, you know, uh, inviting people to, uh, a room or something like that. People from all around the world are able to just tune in for free uh, on their device. But also people who want to do breath work uh, can now through Zoom, you know, sit in their homes in USA, in, in Canada or some other part of the world and attend these sessions. And a lot of times it's also about the access, right? Like you pointed out, even though a person might want to attend an in-person session, maybe they live in a town or a city that's far away from a conventional uh, studio or a meditation center or maybe an ashram. And because these zones also, the people, there's a lot of stigma towards um, other ways of relating to the universe or relating to yourself and doing meditations because there's a stigma. They might do it in their bedroom when nobody's watching them and judging them, right? So that, that factor is there as well. Um, and I am in a way grateful for you know, technology, but I do crave and love in-person experiences and I do want to do, you know, more of them um, in, in in this year. Now, now Jay, you know, speaking about um, a topic that is often uh, pretty, um, you know, pretty, I guess, contentious, maybe it triggers people a lot, is, uh, is money, right? What according to you is money and what sort of relationship do you individually have with it? after having gone through all these different experiences yeah. that you have uh, in your life? Great question. I didn't see this question coming, but I appreciate <laughs> it very much. Okay. Because uh, A, it's a, 
I think it's it's a subject that just like I like I was talking about knowing who you are. Yeah. Knowing our relationship to money is such an important thing because the MBA programs, the business schools and the you know most of education is basically teaches us that more is better. Ultimately it's your sense of success is defined by the amount of money you make and or the amount of money that you've uh, stored away in the bank, you know, or invested and so on and so forth. Now, the first thing I want to debunk this myth for those of us, for those of you listening here, is that the money that we know as dollars is one form of currency. Your attention is currency. Your relationships is currency. Your community is currency. Your Time, huge, is irreversible currency. Money can be made back. Time cannot be taken back. Now, when you understand that it is all these forms of currency that you actually, your, your health, by the way, is a very important form of currency because think about what happens. A lot of us are trading our health, our happiness, our relationships, our resources of the universe, resources of, of mother nature, we're trading all of that for this one thing called the dollar or the rupee or the pound or whatever that, you know, in your country, but, you know, dollar, I guess, is probably a universally accepted term, right? So we're trading all of that thinking that this accumulation of this one particular material form of currency is a guarantee of my sense of safety, stability, and progress. And that's the farthest thing from the truth, because you can see, again, I quoted some examples when I was talking about my growing up, and I saw these people who had lots and lots of this one form of currency. And look at the way that they died, look at the way that they were depressed. And they were, that was not a source of happiness for them. So that's the first thing I would like to say, that one of many forms of currency is this money. Yes, it is. It's also, it's a very Significant form, I mean, one of, I would say, eight forms of currency. Now, the other part of it is to notice that it is a form of energy as well. This idea, again, that we are taught sometimes in certain forms of education that, you know, taking and keeping, how much have I, how much have I gotten? How much more can I get? How much more can I stash away for my next generation, next, next generation, et cetera? That doesn't, how, that doesn't define how energy works. Energy needs to flow. So here's one tip I'd like to give you in this context of this analogy of energy as one form of energy is money. If you find yourself stuck, you find yourself not able to get enough money for whatever needs that you have, your desires, your ambitions, your level of comfort, etc. Find a way to give this energy to someone or someplace that would be appropriate. So that way you're opening up the channel of the flow. You have to open your hand to be able to receive. So learn to give, not just get, get, get. And you will see that in that process, not only are you opening up your channels for receiving and the receiving can happen in many of those, any of those different forms as like health, happiness, relationships, um, connections with others, right? But also what is happening is that you are 
going to increase your level of contentment. Because taking and keeping does not make you more content and happy. It's when you share. That's where I go back to the first point I talked about love. What's important? If it's love, how do you cultivate love? It's when you share, when you care. Mm-hmm. And, and when it comes to succeeding in life, now this question is in line with what I asked before, but when it comes to succeeding in life and achieving our goals, whatever the goals might be in different dimensions, need not be money specifically, but it could be any of our goals and realizing our dreams, what tends to hold us back? Some say maybe it's our financial connections. I don't know enough people or influential people in this area. Some say it's money specifically. Some say it's our own intelligence, right? Whatever version of intelligence it is. But what do you feel is sort of holding us back? What's that missing factor? Okay. So the first missing factor is a very, very, very fundamental thing that I wish that if there's one thing you want to, I want you to take away from this talk, it's going to be this. Defining who you are, what you value, and what does success mean to you? Defining who you are, what you value, and what does success mean to you? Not to your neighbor, not to your twin brother, not to your best friend, not to that movie star in the, in the great film that you watched. They have their own path, but you have yours. And taking a moment to sit with yourself and ask yourself, What does success look like for me? And when I start pursuing it, I'm not saying that here's another thing. I'm not saying that that is going to be the be all end all. When you start applying your energies towards the success, whatever you define for yourself, here's an important mantra I want you to take away. Where your attention goes, your energy flows. And wherever your energy goes, that's what's going to grow. So what's going to happen is that you will start working towards that pursuit of that goal and that's going to grow in your life. And when you start walking towards it, you'll say, you know what? I have to make adjustments. Okay, I've gotten to this, but this is not it. But this is a stepping stone towards whatever that it is, right? So I'll use this analogy. Now, back in my life, sportsman, I had to become a national champion to realize that, you know, that that was my gateway towards a career, which I thought, okay, I was going to go, become, get into this field of work. And I started getting into the career into my that college program. Then I realized, wow, wait, 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 this is not what my sense of happiness is. Then I said, inner work, spirituality. I went into 18 years as a monk. And when I get to that place and I said, okay, now I've come to this point. Now I realize that my next teacher is going to be my relationship. You see? So I'm not saying that that one definition of success is going to be the thing for the rest of your life, but it will be your thing. It is your story, your scripting versus the marketing multi-trillion dollar engines out there in the world are waiting to tell you what line you should be towing, whose plane you should be paying taxes for, whose yacht you should be sponsoring. Because we think about it, you know, every time you're buying something for Amazon, this meaningless, senseless thing where you want to just fill up your home, you're paying for Jeff Bezos's yacht or that spaceship, I guess, he's working on. <laughs> right? So the question is, Whose yacht are you paying for? What is your pursuit? What, where are you putting your energy? Mm-hmm. And so this is the thing I feel. If anything that holds us back from achieving that sense of, see, ultimately, we are all looking for that sense of peace and that joy. That's the ultimate goal. I mean, mm-hmm. regardless of every other pursuit, you know, we want that buy that greater, uh, bigger house. Why? 
because we want to feel secure so we can make our families more secure so we can be at peace at night we can sleep peacefully if we want to get you know the that beautiful shining uh, whatever that gold ring is ultimately because we want to be able to impress other people and so that we can have a sense of community and we feel peaceful and safe in that community of people think about it yeah. a lot of these pursuits is ultimately comes down to simple things like peace love and happiness that's true and so i ask that you please define for yourself so that you don't spend incredible amount of your time and resources going up the wrong tree mm-hmm. yeah i totally agree with your your point of of saying that everything that we do whether it's purchasing even a material object or an experience it's for an experience right and it's easy to forget that you're not buying it for the object you're buying it for the experience that you're hoping to achieve from that and a lot of times companies will use that from a psychological standpoint to push their own products and services an example is i was having a conversation with my friend yesterday i think it's uh, some i think it's expedia or some other company travel company that has this ad with even mcgregor you've seen that ad the, the actor from star wars and yeah, he says yeah. i know who he is but i don't know the ad yeah he said at the end of your life are you going to regret the things that you didn't buy or the places you didn't go you know <laughs> sure. okay so that's like a memeable memeable moment maybe you can put that on a t-shirt right and obviously right. he's trying to promote his the company that is that helps you get good deals on marketing again it's right. marketing but i told my friend you know what that's great and my friend was like yeah that reminds me i don't travel enough right but that's true traveling is an experience it's very clear to say but even if you buy something that is also an experience if you buy right. a car some people do it because they want to feel better than the other people but for the most part people want to travel from one place to the other and they want to have meaningful moments with their families for camping for trekking for outdoorsy stuff right so right. it's easy to forget even even some of the material stuff you're buying it for an experience and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so my thought my thought on that is very simple on that so it's basically seeing life with new eyes Yeah, right? So it doesn't have to come from going to <laughs> you know Mars as what right. Elon Musk is trying to sell his next tickets to, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't have to come from going to Iceland and seeing the northern lights. I mean, you know, although that is beautiful, it's on my bucket list. Let's yeah. not get that wrong. Yeah. But uh I feel like ultimately like to your point it's it's really about being able to see things from a new perspective and I will tell you right now I've been to 62 countries so I'm not like yeah uh, somebody who is a complete um you know sanyasi in the in the traditional terms like i've not you know haven't uh, i've given up all of the pleasures of yeah. right because you see one of the things that travel does do mm-hmm. whether i'm talking about travel whether it's travel within your country or travel within your state travel even within your neighborhood and really getting to know because we've you know see the change from the times when we were growing up to today how many of the neighbors can you name by first name and know them you know kind of closely enough to say that you know these are truly my neighbors and this is a community i live in mm-hmm. so but when you travel out of your comfort zone whatever that means whether it's you know to your neighborhood to your city country or the world it opens your eyes when you sit down with people who are different from you mm. very very important i tell you so if you talk about you see the divisiveness of the today's world right today we're becoming you know a community where there's so much polarization the mm-hmm. blacks and the whites in this country the latinos and the non-latinos then you've got the rich and the poor and then the democrats and the republicans and you've got you know the catholics and the protestants and you know the uh, 
so many, you know, find you know your your club that you know that you want to associate yourself with, and then you ask yourself why all this. For example, in our country, here in America, we having a massive issue around mm-hmm. the issue around shooting, school shootings, right, right, and and so what is it? It's basically a over spilling of the differences, your mm-hmm. hatred towards, or your marginalizing and your condemning of certain people because of their sexual preferences, race, yeah. religion, uh, political affiliation, what have you. Yeah. Right? And so I say that the biggest, biggest healing that you can do as an individual, forget about trying to preach to anybody else, as you can do, sit down with somebody who has a different viewpoint mm-hmm. and have a meal with them. Yeah. And if you think about it, what is travel? Travel is just a basic fancy version of what I've just said. Mm-hmm. You're sitting down having meals over a weekend or, or a week or two weeks or three weeks, a month, whatever, over summer, so that you are able to perceive mm-hmm. different viewpoints. So that's important. Yeah, I, I totally agree 100% with that, right? Because especially with social media, we are so used to an influencer chiming on something and then 100 comments forming an echo chamber of people who completely agree with what you're saying, right? That's the dominant narrative. And if somebody does not agree, let's say an uncle or auntie does not particularly believe in that, right? And there are so many different topics. We talk about abortion, we talk about race and all these different uh, very contentious and hot topics. If some uncle or auntie does not agree, then... There's attacks, right? So totally to your point, I think what the citizens should be equipped with is not ideology, but the tools to navigate a conversation around people with differing opinions. It's not wrong to have differing opinions. And if we all had the same opinions, it would be a very boring world. But I'd like to have a conversation with somebody who differs with my opinion, but still agreeing upon the fact that we have families, we have the capacity to love, we are afraid of a lot of uncertainty. And at the end of the day, we just want to be happy, right? I think we can all agree with that one point. And yes, food uh, definitely brings people together. <laughs> yeah, food and, you know, actually this is a whole lot of neuroscience. And, you know, we haven't gotten into neuroscience today yeah. much, but yeah, a, a warm drink, just FYI, and just add right. something, not even a food. A warm drink has the ability to change your mood. Yeah where your heart opens to receive the other people's opinion. I'm not saying you change. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you give up your opinion, give up your stance and your belief system and you become somebody else. Yeah. Can we open ourselves up to be able to appreciate? And here's the important thing. Find common ground. Mm-hmm. Because you take it, you know, there's so many layers. You know, you're black, I'm white. You're religious, I'm not. You're atheist, I'm, you know, I'm... Uh, uh, pious person you're a, a right wing left wing you're a believer in you know in the women's rights or not or pro life right. anti life whatever it is yeah we are still alive we're still human we have two eyes we breathe the same air we look for the same things we our children go to this you know similar schools or you know we go to the same grocery store to get what we you know we consider to be healthy wholesome food yeah. can we find common ground if you think about it all of your circles of friends, whether it's your relatives you're born with, whether your club that you, the sports that you attend, the parties that you attend, they're going to be people in that group that are different. Yeah. But then what brings us together? Something that we said, we've decided is a common interest. Mm-hmm. So can we find common ground with humanity or people, especially those marginalized people in our mind that we've considered them to be the other? Mm-hmm. 
can you find a chance to go and have a conversation with quote unquote the other wonderful thoughts to ponder upon and i'm sure as our listeners are listening to this session they are introspecting they are um having some food for thought that they can then think about later on maybe after a meditation or something along those lines uh, but jay i want to ask you this profound question which i'm sure you've thought about multiple times as we close today's session um what according to you happens after we die nothing we just uh, transition <laughs> transition what does that mean okay some people might be listening and saying what do you mean by transition jay it's yeah. like very simple it's like you know today here aj is wearing a gray shirt i'm wearing a beige shirt tomorrow mm-hmm. he'll be wearing blue i could be wearing a green yeah it happened we transition from one costume to another it doesn't change who we are it doesn't end anything it's just a question of you know there is a certain purpose to this costume that he's wearing and certain purpose to the costume that i'm wearing and this is a persona that i am adopting today in this moment as i speak to you but if i cling on to this costume guess what it's going to become all raggedy it's going to have holes it's going to be uncomfortable it's not going to keep me warm when i need it to mm-hmm. and it's going to fall apart so when i understand this is a costume and i gracefully treat it as such mm-hmm. there is dignity in who i am and there's dignity in who i will be as i continue past the time when this costume is no longer serving me mm-hmm. so that's what happens in death and so when we transition and this is something that i have had in my mind as well but when we transition to that other costume so to speak how much of that beingness do we still retain if that makes sense how much of that personality who mm-hmm. you were that yeah. likes and dislikes and preferences and dislike or who you were like your mom or your dad how much of that right. do we retain or do we just switch personalities altogether right and That's i'm sure this question. is a, so, a very long conversation that you can talk yeah, for hours and hours yeah, right exactly but i'll just keep it simple i'll just keep it very simple so yeah. just like even on a given day mm-hmm. uh, what i don't know if you realize that we have something called short term memory and long term memory yeah and this is incredible tool called sleep this yes. incredible you know gift of the universe that we call sleep that is actually transferring memory from the short term when it is applicable as is relevant it keeps in the long term and then there is a flushing that happens during your rem sleep now i don't want to go too much into neuroscience but there's a flushing that happens to things that are sort of useless you know this is like the garbage collection if you will of our mind that cleanses and says okay you know what these are not details that you you know if i ask you a simple question aj right now what did you eat for breakfast 3 weeks ago or the 1st of may and like jay i don't remember what i ate 3 days ago forget about 3 weeks ago right mm-hmm. i mean why because the brain has this capacity yeah. to flush out this unnecessary details so that you keep yourself open to fresh experiences mm-hmm. same thing with sleep mm-hmm. there are things that are short term that this process of sleep is analogous to death in that the process of transitioning in the death so to speak i flush out details like of my clinging on to for example a particular family member i could have the most lovable wife or husband or child or whatever it is but it's important that the sleep process and how it's flushing out that short term memory the death process kicks out those things where i open myself up to be completely present with my new set of family members mm-hmm. otherwise imagine if i'm there i've got all the best of gifts of beautiful people and i'm still crying and holding on to people that i've lost in the past life and for how long mm-hmm. they've moved on right 
So, so, so I would say that that's the, that's the quick answer. Otherwise we could go into a complete PhD level breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> so Jay, for somebody who wants to learn more about you, how can they do that? Well, I got a website. It's very simple to remember. It's joywithj.com. Uh, and that's, I feel that uh, the website is a great resource for you. I collect all of the different pieces. Like I have multiple uh, apps that I'm on. I'm on, you know, I have YouTube, Instagram, I have Facebook. I, I, so all of these different tools, I try to use the website as like one collector, if you will, you know, one stop shop for you will be able to find all my resources, whatever that means, whether you want to come to one of my in-person retreats, whether you want to do one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, or you just want to listen to a recording for free. It's all available on that website. Amazing. We'll have this link up in the show notes for, for sure. Action Tribe, two things. If you like this session, then make sure you write us an iTunes rating and review because that really helps us grow. Or maybe just tell a friend uh, or their friend about this episode because your um, testimony is going to help us grow and reach more ears and faces and, and eyes. Okay, so that's one. Number two, if you'd like to dive deep into your own personal spiritual journey, then make sure that you drop in for my next breathwork session from anywhere in the world, from your home. As long as you have an internet connection, go to my7chakras.com forward slash drop in. That's my7chakras.com forward slash drop in. Your first session is free. Use code HEAL2022. H-E-A-L 2022. Make sure you join us. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for uh, joining us on today's session, sharing your wisdom, talking to us about your stories, and ultimately helping us break down some not so simple topics like consciousness and purpose and uh, societal unrest and ultimately death. Yeah, most welcome. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me here. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at My7Chakras.com. That is My-S-E-V-E-N-Chakras.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.